Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Fearless Questions podcast, where we follow our questions to freedom. I'm your host, Jeff Blackburn, and today we've got a Good Morning America edition of the program, or depending on your favorite television show, we could call this the View special episode or even World News Now, because you guys, today we have the multi-talented ABC News correspondent Paula Ferris joining us. Paula, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. You could also call it the view from Good Morning America and kind of fit all of that in. (laughs) That's right, because you're there this morning, right? (laughs) Uh, Exactly, yeah. uh, I I, I do a little bit of everything here. Yeah. Well, you guys, look, Paula has an incredible journey in broadcasting that's included being the main sports anchor for NBC TV in Chicago before she moved on to the national news scene with ABC uh, News a number of years ago. She won some, she's won multiple Emmy Awards, been on the scene covering what appears to be just about every major sports championship ever held. And somewhere in the middle of all that, you managed to keep a family life going as well with a husband and three kiddos. So maybe the first question I should be asking you is if you need to get, to get coffee before we jump in today. No, I actually, I just poured myself a nice hot cup, so okay. <laughs> I'm ready to plow through. But yes, I say uh, prayer and caffeine gets me through. There you the go. Day. There you go. And Paul, you're usually the one doing the interviews. Um, but you know, I know so, it feels it feels so weird to be on this side of it. Yeah. Well, the, as many people of you as you have interviewed, the one thing that was kind of intimidated by was this year you had an exclusive interview with none other than Luke Skywalker. So this is officially <laughs> the closest I've ever been to someone <laughs> in touch with the Force. Okay. So I'm hoping and to let be able me to. Say, uh, an interview with Mark Hamill or Luke Skywalker, you won't be the same afterwards. Yeah. You really won't. Did you try uh, he, and move objects with your hands afterwards? Like just. Oh, I, I can move anything. I can move mountains now. <laughs> See, I mean, not only it's coupled with my faith as a Christian and mm. my uh, my ability as a Jedi warrior now. I yeah. mean, forget it. There isn't anything I can't do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, you know, we have a, just a small piece of shared background that we crossed paths briefly in undergrad uh, at Cedarville in Ohio mm-hmm. back in the 90s. Yep. But, uh, you know, here at Fearless Questions... Um, as folks kind of get to know you a little bit better today, I wonder if you might be willing to fill us in a little bit on your, on your faith background. I know you're from the Midwest, but was faith always a part of your world? You know, the sort of the context of what it looked like for you growing up. Yeah. I mean, in the context of, of what it looked like growing up, I, I had, uh, quite an exposure to Christianity. You could say, um, I was raised Catholic and my parents, so I had my first communion in the Catholic Church, and then my parents converted to the Lutheran Church, which was a big deal in our families because both sides of my my mom's side and my dad's side are just staunch Catholics. So when we when we converted to the Lutheran Church, there was a bit of an uproar. So um, went to the Lutheran Church. I had I was confirmed in the Lutheran Church, and I was going to public schools and. Uh, when I reached middle school at that point, my parents said that a change of scenery would do me good. So they broached the subject of going to a Christian school. And the only real Christian school, there was a Catholic school in town in Jackson, Michigan, where I grew up. But the only uh, Christian school was Jackson Baptist. So so I grew, I grew, up, grew up Catholic. Then we, you know, we uh, moved to the Lutheran church. And then I started going to a Baptist high school in ninth grade. And throughout all of this, we had belonged to, it was a non-denominational community of believers uh, that that I can remember we were a part of since I was very young. And it was more Pentecostal than anything like non-denominational. So we had Catholics and Baptists and Episcopalians. Uh, 
meeting on on Sunday nights at the local YMCA, just okay. different different denominations of Christianity, and it was it was more Pentecostal. It was called Morning Star Christian Community, and then we had what you would refer to as small groups. We had small groups on the weekends, which we called households. So I had this very eclectic brand of Christianity growing up, uh, exposure to many different sects of Christianity. Um, and then I wound up going to Cedarville University, which we both know is a Bible is a more of a Baptist uh, yeah. college. Yeah. And so I, 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 I have a, a, a very unique, a, a unique perspective, just having been exposed to so many different brands of Christianity. Hmm. But and, through it all, but, you know, through it all, my family, a very faith filled family, I, but I'd never made a public proclamation of my faith in Jesus until I was in high school. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. was it was it a pretty conservative? I mean, I heard you talking to Sarah once, and it made me laugh because you're the only other person I've ever heard declare that your family wouldn't let you watch Smurfs. And that's how my wife I, Jody is. No. Like, I couldn't watch Smurfs. It was awful because of Gargamel and witchcraft. I'm like, really, Smurfs? My parents didn't let me trick-or-treat after Uh, sixth grade because they thought it was the devil's holiday. They have softened up since a lot. So, yeah, my parents were were very strict. I wasn't allowed to go to any movie. They had to – it had to pass the – what we called the movie morality guide test. My parents got this – they got this newsletter, and it was the movie morality guide. I don't even know if it still exists, but this group, I think from Texas, the movie morality guide, they would watch – every single movie that was out there and then they would they would break it down into how many uh, profanities any sort of innuendos i mean by the time my parents got this guide like i wasn't even allowed to watch a g movie because yeah it it, it, was awful parents were were very conservative they have since loosened up a lot yeah um conservative to the point where it's very i would say somewhat legalistic okay um but but yeah very strict household you know, I couldn't date till I was 16, didn't get my ears pierced, had to wear had to wear uh, skirts to my knee, no bikinis, that sort of thing. Yeah. So well, was, I just, it was pretty conservative. Yeah, I just remember hearing you say thing about the Smurfs, and I'd given Jody a really hard time about it. But now that I know there's other mm-hmm. people out there that walk the same the same story, I'll have to give her a little more grace. But um, Oh, yes. You know, you know, Gargamel, Gargamel, once he gets into your spirit, he's never going away. <laughs> you can't get him out. Papa Smurf. Get... Papa Smurf is just not as innocent and benign as he appears to be. Right. It was like the original, <laughs> like the same uh, controversy with the shack, like God being represented differently like papa smurf was uh-huh. not not an acceptable uh god figure mm. um exactly hey you so you go on to uh, uh the conservative college at, at cedarville and you know for some folks college can be sort of a time of really shifting their thinking when it comes to how they see the world and their the faith of their youth it sounds like yours was always changing but as you reflect back what were those college years like for you in regards to your faith development Oh, it was, um, well, I say like the, the first, the best decision that my parents ever made for me was sending me to, um, a Baptist high school. But the best decision I ever made for myself was going to Cedarville university. I, I met my husband there. We're college sweethearts, but I really, I was at that point in my life, I very much was a follower. I didn't know who I was. I was still, um, forming opinions of myself as, as a child of God, as a believer. And even though I grew up in the faith, you know, going to a Baptist high school, that's when I really started digging into the Bible. And so Cedarville, those years, I would have been a completely different person had I gone to a different university. Mm -hmm. I needed a, I needed the structure. I need, and, and when I tell people how strict Cedarville was, they laugh and they're like, why would you choose that? 
you know, my philosophy was I needed structure A, but B, in life, no matter where you are, you're going to have to adhere to some sort of rules or guidelines. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a free-for-all. So there are rules and guidelines in any ocu- occupation that you might hold. Right. In business, I have rules and guidelines at GMA. That's what it is. I don't have to adopt these personal beliefs. I don't have to own them, but I have to obey them. And so that was my philosophy with Cedar. I don't agree with everything, but I'm here. And I, and I, I agreed to obey the guidelines here. And so that's how I'm going to live. But it was, it was so instrumental. Um, this, the daily structure of having chapel, uh, going to Bible classes, my faith really grew. And I really started studying the Bible mm-hmm. and I know people will talk about, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but they don't go to church, they don't read the Bible. And my feeling is, okay, I, I'm not going to question your Christianity, but you have to wonder, how is that relationship going to grow if you're never putting anything into it? It's like any relationship with my husband. If I never saw him or talked to him, communicated with him, we wouldn't have a relationship. So that's where my faith really started to blossom was in Cedarville. Okay. Yeah. And I know for me too, at first I was sort of like uh, repelled by some of the rules, but at some point somebody talked about the difference between like law and institutional preferences. And if it's an institutional preference, okay, well I can say we have different opinions, but I can submit to that for the the context and the experience. But um, so yeah, I I can track with what you're, what you're saying there. Um, Mm -hmm. So you come out of your undergrad years, you're ready to take over the media world. And I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about that first year out in the real world job market and sort of the trajectory of uh, those first years of your career. Uh, I'd love to say that I had a job lined up. I had no idea what I was doing. I, it took me several years to really break in to the market and out of college. I still remember I had probably 50, $60,000 worth of loans and I was working at an ad agent, not an agent, sorry. I was working at a video production house and I was cleaning apartments and I was working at Arby's. I was working three. Yes, I worked at Arby's. <laughs> I was working three jobs. They paid, they paid more than my job at the video production company. Oh no! They, they were paying $8 an hour, which was big. So I, I remember having this moment where I thought to myself, there's got to be more for me than this. Yeah. I didn't really know what I was doing at that point. And, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years down the road after graduation, I think it was three years after graduation and a couple of other odd jobs. I really just, it was right after 9-11 and I was working in radio sales at the time. And I, I just really felt God pushing me into the direction. And when I say pushing, because I really didn't want to go, I was comfortable behind the scenes, producing, editing, uh, shooting with the camera. I was comfortable in production. Mm -hmm. And I really felt compelled at that point that God really wanted me to be a storyteller, to be a journalist. And I started to feel that in my heart too, that I finally wanted it because along the way through college, my professors would encourage me, you should really, you should really pursue journalism, on-air journalism, on-air reporting. And I just didn't have the confidence. I didn't have um, I wasn't secure in who I was. I didn't know who I was at that point. And so I really felt like God not only put it on my heart, but then I started, I always say sometimes other people's have, sometimes other people have to have the dream for you before you have it for yourself. Yeah. And I feel like this was the dream of so many people for me. And the, the reason I didn't have that dream is because I didn't think I could do it. My insecurities mm. were getting in the way of God's dreams for me. Mm. So it was right around 9-11 uh, right after 9-11, and I quit my job. I didn't have a job 
lined up. We were in Dayton, Ohio. My husband and I had recently been married and I just, I thought, you know, I've, I've got to do this. I have a, a, a burning desire in my heart to do this now. Um, even though I was very hesitant to go in that direction <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. And I, I quit my job. I was making great money and I handed my resume out to several of the news stations in Dayton just to be a PA, just to get my foot in the door, production assistant. Mm-hmm. I started substitute teaching in the mean, you know, in the time in between just to help subsidize and to pay the bills. And uh, Ian Rubin at NBC Fox 45, uh, it was a dual affiliation station. He hired me to be a PA and and he laughed in my face when I said, I eventually want to report. And he's like, that won't (laughs) happen here, but good luck to you. And I knew I didn't have the luxury of of sending my application across the country at that point because I was recently married and John was working as a basketball coach at Central State University and he was loving it. Mm. I didn't want to uproot him from what he was doing for a job to make $7 an hour and move to Missoula, Montana. Yeah. So I knew if it was going to happen, it was going to have to happen where we were. Hmm. And that's where I just trusted God. So I was a production assistant. I was making seven bucks an hour maybe. And I, unbeknownst to the news director, I borrowed the camera from the, <laughs> the guys in the sports department. I mean, I asked them, I got their permission, but I didn't, wasn't telling the news director what I was up to in my, my spare time. I shot some standups. I shot some interviews. I edited a tape and I handed it to him because in, in our business, you don't hand a resume, a piece of paper. You uh-huh. have to show them what you can do. And the only way to show them is to show them what you can do on air. So I gave him a tape of stuff of some work that I had done. Of course, it hadn't actually aired. It was just a tape edited of interviews I'd done, some sample anchoring, some sample reporting. And he liked it. And he said, you know, give me one more tape and I'll think about it. I hadn't even, I was in the process of producing that next tape and he put me on the air. I'm, so I'm kind of laughing on the kind inside of a little bit. On air. I'm laughing because I have images of Michelle Pfeiffer and up close and personal putting together a promo video of herself. Yes, that was, oh, I mean, I would go, it was so humbling too, because I would go from anchoring one show to running teleprompter the next show. Hmm. And in between shows, I was one man banding. He knew that I was autonomous. I could do it on my own. So in between shows, I would, I would, you know, anchor the, the, the evening news. And then I would go to shoot a like a, a minor league baseball game and climb onto the roof of the building with all of the gear <laughs> by myself. Just the, it was the camera and the battery pack and the tripod. And that is so incredibly heavy. Yeah. And then go back to the studio, produce the show, edit all my tapes, throw on some lipstick and comb my hair and call it a day. <laughs> so you've so done it all. You've done it all. That's, that's how it was born. Yep, uh, I, I guess you could say I've done it all, but well, in the middle of all that, too, it sounds like the dream that others had for you did resonate in you when you heard it, even if you weren't didn't have the confidence for it yet. It was oh, resonating completely. with you. And it sounds like you had a um, it sounds like you have an active interact. You were actively kind of engaged with this relationship with God you're talking about, because you, mm-hmm. you you talked a lot about actually listening to God and all that. So that's that's interesting sure. as well. Well, yeah. you know, you talk about climbing up on top of uh, dugouts and buildings and all this stuff with sports, and you've covered so many so many sporting events. I mean, the World Cup, the World Series, the NBA Finals. I saw you in a picture with the Stanley Cup. But I had to ask if you had one sporting event to top them all, a dream sporting event scenario, 
I want to know what it would be and who you would be there with. And if you mention Tom Brady in your answer as a Buckeye by birth and a Colts fan by proximity, I will be obligated to edit out this portion of our conversation. Um, I'm not going to mention Tom Brady, but I will mention Michigan. My dream scenario would be Michigan playing Ohio State for the national championship and Michigan destroying the Buckeyes. My dad would be there. My dad's a Michigan alum. I would bring a lot of members of my, the Ferris family. They're all, they're, I mean, I was I was raised 20 minutes from Michigan Stadium. I okay. grew up going to football games with my dad. Saturdays, dad and I on the couch watching Michigan football. My first imaginary boyfriend was Jim Harbaugh. Oh, Brian no. Greasy, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean. Little you, did you, you know the khakis it. were coming. <laughs> the khakis were coming. He broke, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh broke my heart because <laughs> there were rumors that he was going to come. And this was um, in the previous installment before okay. I'm trying to think of when it, I can't think, think of the timeline, but he had a chance to come to Michigan and it didn't happen. And that broke my heart. So when it finally announced that he was coming, I mean, it literally is kind of like the, the, the second coming in football speak. <laughs> he, Jim Harbaugh is yeah. yeah, every Michigan girl's like dream to have back, back in Ann Arbor. Well, as an Ohio State fan, I have to admit, even though I'm, I will never cheer or be happy for Michigan for anything mostly, <laughs> uh, it is fun to have a good coach there Like that, that brings a lot back to the rivalry. rivalry. You guys, it brings a lot back to the rivalry. I mean, it hasn't been a rivalry. You guys have been obliterating Michigan for like the last 12 years. Yeah, well, it's I miss fun. John, it's I miss fun. Cooper. <laughs> no, I, well, that's a whole other conversation. I saw him the day mm-hmm. that Ohio State lost last year, and I the kids were oh. with me. They thought that was a, a hoax, or what do you call it, a jinx or something. Yes, um, exactly. Well, look, that's that's good for me to know, even though I'm going to shudder every time I think about that. But um, <laughs> at, at some point, you guys um, – you get brought to New York City. You have City. to love me. You still have to love me. You're, God tells you to love this me. This Christian so. stuff. Uh, I know. Um, you know, there's a special place in heaven in the backyard for the Wolverine fans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at some point, you guys come to New York City uh, to join up with ABC World News. Um, you're working with Good Morning America and then a little later with The View. But with roles like that, um, you've had a chance to meet and interview so many amazing folks. But you've taken on a lot of a number of the roles that were held by Barbara Walters. I mean, like just as a journalist, what does that feel like? You know, one of the first, um, one of my first meetings when I first came to ABC, it was just with the anchors and some of, some of the correspondence with some of our supervisors and I'm sitting in, sitting in the room and there were probably, I'd say about like 40 of us. And I turned to my right and there's Diane Sawyer. And I turned to my left and Bar- Barbara Walters is there. Oh, and there, and I think Katie Kirk was still in the room at the time. And it's just, it's, it's so humbling. Mm. And uh, it, it's almost surreal sometimes. It's almost incomprehensible. You, it's, it's hard to absorb where you are, where mm. God has brought you. And I, I shudder at the thought of not obeying God and not answering this calling and walking down this road for the, for the mere excuse of, of my own insecurities. Hmm. My own insecurities could have prevented this entire path hmm. and this entire life from happening. And I just think, you know, when we believe that when God calls you to do something, you don't you don't need to question your own ability because it's not you anyways. At the end of the day, God is working through you. Hmm. Um, and so stop talking yourself out of it. But yeah, it's, I've had so many pinch me moments and I'm just so grateful 
to be here and I consider it an honor and a privilege. And it's, it's, it's a responsibility too. It's a huge responsibility. Hmm. Um, is it pressure when you're there? I mean, or is it just sort of that one of those undercurrents that you're, that comes up every once in a while? Um, it's a lot of pressure. I'm surprised that I haven't uh, turned from coal into a diamond at this point. There's so <laughs> much pressure. There's pressure oh. to perform, pressure of ratings. I try not to think about it too much because mm-hmm. I'm just in it as long as God wants me to be here. So mm-hmm. if, if I put the pressure on myself, then I'm internalizing and I'm, I'm taking my eye off off the ball and the ball is God. So as long as I'm letting God work through me, you know, more power, more power to everybody else. If you want to, if you want to lay me off or fire me, that's fine. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And more importantly, I'm allowing God to work through me. Hmm. Um, that's cool. That's cool. That's a, a liberating idea. Um, this it is... takes the pressure off of you. And you look back at so many examples in the Bible. And I think that's what God wants to ultimately tell us is, listen, it's not you anyways. It's me working through you. God has always used, you know, flawed, imperfect human beings to perform for his perfection in life. He never uses a perfect person because that doesn't exist. Hmm. So when you think about it in in that sense, it really takes the pressure off. I'm like, if God's called you, you know what? You don't need to worry about it. God's going to do it. Put it on him. Yeah. Well, I I understand that you and John and the kids um, attend Hillsong Church regularly there in New York City. And um, so kind of two questions, like one is having grown up in the Midwestern world of church and you've kind of hit a number of them there. I wonder if you found church life much different in New York City. Um, yes, that, that would be an understatement. We're actually, well, we, we've been, we went to Hillsong for probably the first four years of being in New York and when okay. we moved to the suburbs. When, when we moved to the suburbs, it was just, you know, I would come in for GMA on Sunday and then go home and get John and the kids. And then we would go back in the city because Hillsong was only meeting in the city. Okay. So it became a difficult, uh, with my schedule. So we started going to, we've been, we're still involved with Hillsong. We still contribute to Hillsong. Um, and we still go occasionally, but our, our main church right now is, is in, um, Connecticut. It's about 15 minutes from our house. And it just okay. made it when you have three little kids and you're, and I work every Sunday, sure. it just makes it a little bit more conducive because any little excuse can throw you off, can throw you off the rails that morning. <laughs> yeah. So Hillsong is opening up. They have satellite churches everywhere and they're opening up a satellite church in Connecticut soon. And we will be going back there once. Uh- Okay. Once it's open, but yeah, church is important to us, and like we don't love the church we're at, but but we don't want that to give us an excuse not to go because it's important for us, not just for us, but it's important for our kids to be in church and know that on Sundays you go to church. Okay, and and we do it as a family. Okay, well, I was thinking about the well, Hillsong thing, and I knew that Justin Bieber just canceled the rest of his tour, and I was wondering if he was going to be showing up oh, leading yes. worship soon. You know, <laughs> you know what? You never know. It's it's interesting because it. The one thing I've never, you know, growing up in the Midwest, you know, you have your big power churches. Right. Uh, they're huge churches with huge campuses. You don't find that out here. It's and we say that's the hardest part about living for us on the East Coast and just being exposed to um, what we were in the Midwest in terms of a church environment. We don't have that here. It's hard. You don't feel necessarily as rooted. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the exposure to the churches. And it's, it just doesn't seem, I mean, there, we've only found a handful of Christians that live in our town too. Mm. Um, and we, we miss that a lot, but Hillsong, when you go to Hillsong, I mean, it, it can be a who's who you're looking around and 
gosh, you might see a Kardashian, you might see Justin Bieber, you might <laughs> see, you know, but I think it's, it's, somebody has to reach these people. Yeah. And Carl Lentz, who's the lead pastor, he has a unique ability to reach um, a lot of these celebrities where they're at. And they have huge platforms and huge influences over our children. And I think Mm. it's important that somebody is reaching them. Yes, they are imperfect, but you know what? At the end of the day, all of us are. And God said, love God, love people. Yeah. Um, You got to love these people through it. But it's, it's, Hillsong is, I will say, I've never felt more spiritually fed than when I've gone to Hillsong. Um, It's, it's just, you, you talk about, you know, when Jesus left, he left the Holy Spirit. You feel, it is such a spirit-filled place, and it's exciting to be a part of that. The only problem is if you go to another church, it feels <laughs> dead. Oh. It feels dead. You experience oh. Hillsong, and then everything else feels a little lifeless after that. Well, and some of those celebrities you talked about, I mean, it's like you said, we're all we're all uh, people that make mistakes. Theirs is just more on display quite often, and we keep ours sure. more tucked away. So um, yep. not so different. You know, Paul, yeah. as— as a um, as a reporter, it seems like you've had the opportunity to cover you know some of the biggest news stories when it comes um, to people's public faith. Speaking of issues mm-hmm. in the public, I know you covered the Kim Davis story um, down sure. in Kentucky when you know when she wouldn't issue the licenses for gay marriage. You've interviewed the Duggar family um, who went through all the all that uh, the sexual abuse scandal. And it's mm-hmm. one thing for folks like me following along from a distance to have opinions on these conversations, but I wonder when you get yourself. When you get immersed into the frontline details and the people involved in these situations, have there been ways that you find it stretching or or challenging to your own faith that you might not have experienced otherwise? Um, I, you know what I like, my faith is always going to be the foundation of who I am, and it influences every decision that I make. But at the same time, I know as a journalist, um, I it's not that I'm two different people. I'm always going to take a lot of my values of who I am as a journalist, but I try to maintain my neutrality, my objectivity. So I I say my approach to every interview is I'm going to be fair, but firm. And it doesn't matter who you are. I'm going to treat you the same if you're Kim Davis, if you're LeBron James, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're President Trump, Hillary Clinton, I'm going to, I want, I want to treat you the same. And that's with respect and dignity, but I'm going to press and I'm going to be fair reform because I not only have an obligation to, you know, my employer, I haven't, my obligation is to viewers out there and I need to be putting, if, if I want to be a responsible journalist, I'm going to be asking questions that other people are asking, regardless of how I believe, Hmm. what I believe, um, who I believe, because that's my responsibility as a journalist. But at the end of the day, my foundation will always be my faith. I'm not going to do anything that compromises who I am or what I believe in. Mm. Um, but I believe that those aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I can still be who I am and what than the journalist that I need to be. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. But, you know, as you move. So on the journalism side, that makes a lot of sense. And that's actually much appreciated as a as a viewer and listener to, to have somebody try and be objective. Um, but one of, <laughs> You're what, not going to find a lot of it. It's hard to find it. The lines are blurred between journalists and it pundits. Is. So. It is. In fact, I usually have to like I flip four stations often I'll listen to, you know, maybe a station and get the story and then I'll have to flip between four different ones to get the different extremes and then try and figure out what the truth is in the middle. But, um, you know, one of the unique things about your role on the view 
is that you have the freedom, which I'm sure can also be challenged to share your personal opinion of big topics on the fly. I mean, I know even back in um, December of a couple years ago, you know, the issue of atheism and Christmas was debated. And, um, you know, I've, I heard you ask some hard questions to Hillary Clinton and um, when she was on the show. And for a lot of people, that could be really intimidating, um, especially when you're working alongside really intelligent women with distinctly different perspectives and not just issues <laughs> on your faith, but on a lot of other issues. And so what's that dynamic been like for you? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, my philosophy, too, is. God calls us to be a light in the darkness. If you go into uh, another light area and you're light, you're, you're not going to shine. You're only going to shine in those dark places. And people say, why would you want to do this? Why would you want to to work and work at ABC? Why would you want to work at The View? And I, and I say, well, if not me, then who? I feel like God also called me to do this as well. And at the end of the day, I, 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 I love those women. We're all very, very, very different. But God gave us really two directives to, you know, love God and to love people. And I might be the only Jesus that Joy Behar really ever experiences. Joy will routinely tell me that I'm impossible to offend. And (laughs) I I, I say that's because I know who I am. It's not based on what anybody else thinks about me, but it's based on my identity in Jesus. We have faith-filled conversations all the time. And I, I take that as the, it's a huge honor and, but it's a huge responsibility as well. And I want to make sure that at the end of the day, no matter what's said at that table, no matter how heated the conversations get, that, you know what, I've got to love these people, regardless of who they are, who they choose to marry, what decisions they make. You know, God has called us, no matter what we do. I know people are continuously questioning whether they're doing the right thing, are they in the right career path? You know what? God's called you to be where you where you are at that moment and what you're supposed to be is a light. And that's that's really our 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 directive here on earth is to love God and love people and show them the light of Christ. And if we're not doing that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're in the wrong career or, you know, what we want if we have aspirations to become an executive or to open a restaurant. That's what we're really called to do is to love people and to show them the light of Christ, no matter where we are, if we work at Starbucks, if we work at Arby's, if we work at ABC, if we work, you know, at at a university, no matter what we're doing in, in that capacity, we are to love God and love people because I might be the only Jesus. You might be the only Jesus that people see in their entire life. You know, I think it's well, it's kind of joy to say you can't get you. She can't offend you. Um, I don't know if that's true for a lot of people that call themselves Christians. Um, you know, because one of the things I don't know if you see it as a blessing or curse, but when you're in a position like yours, you know, there's those crazy social media realities that it seems like massive numbers of people who describe themselves as Christians seem to feel like it's sometimes their job to critique your faith based on how you engage with topics on TV and other social media. So I know how do you handle my judge and my judge and jury, right? Yeah. How do you handle that when people react to you online and like they can say really unkind stuff sometimes, you know, I have gotten to a point where I don't, I try not to check it. Yeah. I like to engage with people, but it has been Twitter, especially is filled with such vitriol and the keyword courage that people are are empowered to have because they're hiding behind a screen. And Mm -hmm. it's discouraging when I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see, trust me, I get a lot of negative feedback. Um, and, and I'll go to their account and it's like Ecclesiastes one, two, or there'll be a Bible (laughs) verse. And that's, 
I got to say, that's the most disheartening is when I see it coming from other so-called believers. That's what's really frustrating because, you know, you're, you're only, your job isn't to play judge and jury. Your job is to love me. You know what? Let the Holy Spirit do his work. That's what I tell my mom all the time. You know, my mom and I have different perspectives on, on many things, but I'm like, I'm going to, Jesus hung out with sinners. And that's like, I, I, I have, there are a lot of people at work. Um, and in my, also in my town and my, in my social life that I hang out with, but I have had, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had lately about faith and Jesus and God. And if it's not, I keep asking, if not me, then who, like, who's going to reach some of these people? Um, but it's it's really I think Christians need to just look themselves in 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 the mirror at the end of the day and are are we would are we a true representative of what of who Christ is of of what Christ represented what Christ represented are we loving people are we loving people at the and that's the most important thing we can love them and we can pray for them we can pray that the Holy Spirit moves in their lives and convicts them of whatever it is. But that's not necessarily our job. Our job is to love them through it and to pray for them. Yeah. And you mentioned just being out, like being with a lot of different kind of people in your world. And I just think that sometimes for Christians that, you know, you, you put a picture of you and Caitlyn Jenner on from hosting together. And, and I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. She, that must've been an interesting time working together with her. And, um, and then the hatred just started pouring out. And I thought, man, it seems like when, especially when Christians are only inside of their own bubble, the hatred seems to be louder as opposed to when they might step outside of, of maybe a, an isolated s- set of only people believing the exact same way they do. And, and sure. having conversations with people that do believe differently than you, it's actually can be pretty engaging. I think so. It, it can be engaging, but it can also really solidify your own faith. But yeah. if you're not challenged, I mean, the best things in life, you have, you have to work hard for. Yeah. And if you're not challenging your faith, and questioning it on a daily basis, not in the sense that am I a Christian, but you need to, you know, you need to sharpen your faith. You need to be asking those questions that other people are asking. You need to be prepared, as the Bible says, be prepared with an answer as to why you believe. And it's not enough just to say, oh, I was raised this way. You need to know why you need to have, you need to be able to present your case for Christ. You need to be able to present your case for Christianity mm-hmm. because. Um, it's not enough just to say, well, I was raised this way or it's what my parents taught or it's what I, was, it's what I learned in church. Like, you've you got to know why. You've got to know why. And, and God challenges us to know why. He yeah. challenges us to, to, to question Him. Um, and if we're not, then we're not growing. And if we're not growing, then you know what? We're not moving. <laughs> yeah. Then we're dead. Stagnant. We're yeah. dead. If yeah. we're not growing, we're dead. Yeah, and you're hitting at the heartbeat of what Fearless Questions does here because I think that people are, you know, perfect love drives out fear, but, you know, when people are afraid of things, it drives out love. And, um, it and sure that could be questions or people or whatever. And for so many people, you know, they're, what the thing is, if you believe what you believe, then we shouldn't be afraid. If it's true, we don't need to be afraid to gauge other worldviews or other ideas because if we're wrong, I'd want to know, you know? And um, so, uh, you know, that kind of takes me to this. One of the things I I like to ask people is, you know, what are the questions you wish more people were talking about? Uh, In terms of in in the faith world, right? Not necessarily from a media perspective. (laughs) Uh, You could give me a little of both because they're they're probably a little bit different, but. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the questions that I wish Christians were asking is what would Jesus do in the situation? And I feel like if we were to stop and ask that in pretty much any scenario or in anything that we're doing, I 
think we'd have a clear answer, a much clearer answer. We get in the way of ourselves so much. Mm. Um, you know, what, what am I doing to advance the kingdom? What am I, how am I loving people today? Um, you know, what, who am I sowing? I think if you're not sowing into people and you're not loving people, you need to ask yourself how you're going to, how you're going to start doing that. Mm. Um, you know, the other questions I ask myself, like, when am I going to have another cup of coffee? So just something <laughs> a little bit more basic, but uh, I think from, for me though, really asking myself and I know like the WWJD bracelet, but it's such a reminder for me in every situation, even sitting next to Caitlyn Jenner, you yeah. know, I, I couldn't believe the backlash from yeah. so many professed Christians too. Like, do you think Jesus would be unafraid to sit next to her? Do you think Jesus would be unafraid to engage with her? Do you think Jesus wouldn't love her? No, Jesus would have loved her. He would say, and he would tell everybody else that was judging her to back off. And then he would love her and tell her to sin no more. So I think if we're not asking ourselves in, in situations, especially when we're, when we feel compelled to start judging somebody else and putting ourselves on that high horse, you know, by the grace of God, there go I. What would Jesus do in this situation? And am I being Jesus to that person? I think I think the world would be I think the world would be a much better place, and I think Christians would have a much better testimony of Jesus Christ. Hmm. It would certainly make for more uh, for calmer uh, newscasts and uh, syndicate shows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. Well, and you know what? If people, um, I hope people do follow along with you already. Of course, millions of people do, but. Um, for those who, you know, sometimes people have their own news network of choice, but I hope they do check your stuff out. I mean, you're on Good Morning America, you're on The View. And honestly, if they want to follow along on social media, you and Sarah Haynes are having way too much fun together on these Facebook Live things you do. Um, so people can we follow. We have so much fun. <laughs> I don't know if we ever have a point, but like Sarah and I are are the best of friends. And we thought we would we want nothing more on this in this world than to do a show just together. That would be our full time <laughs> gig. We're best friends, and we happen to work at the same network. And so we just started doing these frivolous, yeah. little like best friends hanging out, going out and doing whatever it is we may do. So um, yeah, little adventures with, with with the two of us. Um, we we uh, really love one another's company. So no, it's good. Really it's very do. humanizing too. So it's uh, it's good stuff. Um, yeah. Paul, you've been so generous sharing your time with us today. And, and I also really appreciate your willingness to share some of the more personal sides and experiences of your faith journey with us. Um, and uh, just all the best moving forward as you keep on Thank you. doing a great job bringing the news and blessings on you and your family as you continue to walk out your faith in a complicated world. And, uh, you know, if there's anybody listening out out there besides my mother, I just <laughs> encourage you to please, you know, send your prayers my way. This is a or this can be a very stressful, um, high pressure job. And I do feel, I'm not going to lie. I'm not immune to it. I, I do feel those pressures a lot and just pray that I could, you know, keep it simple at the end of the day and remember it's not me, it's God. And, you know, I'm being Jesus to whomever it is that I'm sitting next to at that very, at any given moment. Definitely. Definitely. I appreciate those prayers. Paula, thank you so much. We'll do that. Thank and, you, um, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yeah. And hopefully we can catch up soon. Yep, and one parting thought. Okay. Go blue. Oh, stop. Stop. I'm going to play <laughs> the Ohio State it. fight song here in a second. <laughs> <laughs>
to the oh, stop, stop, stop. Okay, I'll, I'll spare you. All right. Thanks, Paula. Cheers. Okay, sounds good, Jeffrey. Thank right. you. Yep. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.